Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. Hey church, I should have said earlier, I'm Katie, my pronouns are she, her, (laughs) and I'm really glad to see all of you tonight and grateful to those of you who have welcomed us into your space tonight. We're beginning a new worship series for Lent. Technically, we began it on Ash Wednesday a few days ago. This series is called Gird Up Your Loins When All the News is Bad News. And we'll be reading from one of the major prophets in the Hebrew Bible all through these weeks of Lent, Jeremiah. Um, And so oddly, uh, by our practice, we will be using the gospel readings each week as a responsive reading. And we won't be going exactly in order of Luke's gospel, but rather reading some stories out of the middle part of that account that, in my mind at least, have some connection to what we're doing in the rest of the service. Maybe you'll see it, I'm hopeful. Um, There is a content consideration for this reading tonight from Jeremiah chapter one, and that is that God will indeed make a pun. You've been warned. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, ah, Lord God, truly, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a kid. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I'm only a kid, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out God's hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See? Today, I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see the branch of an almond tree, shaked in Hebrew. Then the Lord said to me, oh, you have seen well, for I am watching shoked over my word to perform it. 
The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot tilted away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, Disaster shall break out on all the inhabitants of this land. For now I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord, and they shall come, and all of them shall set their thrones at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its surrounding walls and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them for all their wickedness and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods. They have worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, gird up your loins, stand up, tell them everything that I command you. Do not break down before them or I will break you before them. And I, for my part, have made you today a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah and its princes and its priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Listen, I was never supposed to be a preacher but my husband was. Lance is the son of a preacher, who was the son of a preacher. Lance's older brother is a preacher. Lance's older sister married a preacher, the proximate option available to her. Lance became a preacher and then a teacher. Of preachers. There is, in fact, a book of family genealogy of the Poppy family, P-A-P-E, that points to priests and pastors and preachers going back any number of generations. Papa, that Germanic surname, could refer simply to parenthood, or it could have a more vocational referent. Father, as in priest, as in the papacy. It is, in one way of looking at it, the work, the life my spouse was born for. By this reasoning, Jeremiah should have been a priest. The superscription of the book that records his prophecies says that he was the son of Hilkiah from a line of priests in Anathoth. Anathoth, a city with resonance for those who knew their Israelite history. I had to look it up. Anathoth being the city to which priests loyal to the revered King David were banished by his son Solomon for complicated political reasons. Honestly, I didn't take time to memorize. The Anathoth priests were priests indeed but priests on the margins, not quite in Jerusalem, not quite in the mainstream of Israel's religious life. And so Jeremiah, we can imagine, grew up in between, proximate to the religious heart of his nation, but on the edges, not in the center. 
It makes me wonder if this is not exactly why God might choose him for the prophet's role. As the son of a priest, Jeremiah would have been literate and educated, familiar with Israel's political history and religious tradition, well-versed in scripture, and tuned in to the narration of God's presence with God's chosen people. But, perhaps, from Anathoth, three miles north of Jerusalem, Jeremiah had the rare and valuable gift of perspective, an ability to see from a distance what the ones caught up in the hot middle of things could not. This is the vocation of a prophet, after all, to see what others cannot or will not, and to show them what their blind spots have obscured. The prophet paints word pictures to reveal the invisible cause and effect connections among current events, pointing always to the people's own way of being and God's response to that. The prophet warns that in God's world, which this is, People cannot simply do whatever they want, whatever feels good or smart or powerful or important and expect God to not have anything to say about it. That is the point of God's pun in God's first conversation with Jeremiah. What do you see, God asks. And Jeremiah names the first thing his eyes land on, the branch of an almond tree, probably one he's sitting under right now trying to regain his composure after hearing God's voice call his name and having God's hand touch his mouth. And God says, shaked, almond branch, good answer. So far you're passing my pass-fail course because I am watching over shoked my word to perform it. Now, this is in itself a profound statement about the nature and character of God, and not only that God is punny. It speaks to God's involvement in Jeremiah's world, and I'd say in ours as well. First, that God watches naming God's own powers of observation, not God the puppeteer who has scripted every outcome and directs the action from on high, but God the witness, God who waits to see what will happen, God who is paying attention, whose eyes are trained on the world God has made, watching for movement, watching for motive, watching for what comes next. This watching God does is more than passive observation. The interpreters of Jeremiah's Hebrew language want us to understand. I mean, if you go on vacation and ask someone to watch your dog, you intend for them to do more than just observe the dog, right? (laughs) Impassive observation is not the watching that's called for. Rather, you need someone to watch over your beloved animal companion, to respond to Fido's needs and 
keep Fido from harm. So God shooked, watches over, not passively observing from a distance, but actively responding to what God sees. I'm watching over, God tells the prophet, watching over, what? My word to perform it. The object of the watching over requires some brain work on our part. God is here not watching only the world of Jeremiah's habitation, but watching over God's own word in that world. That is, God's own creative initiative, God's intention, God's own logic for the world of Jeremiah's habitation. Remember, God brought the world into being by God's word, by speaking the world aloud, let there be light, let there be land, let there be life. And God's powerfully creative word is then embodied in Jesus. John's gospel says, the word that was with God in the beginning, that word became flesh and dwelled among us. I'm saying this word in Jeremiah that God watches over is a word that we know well. The spoken intention of God's imagining for everything that is, including Jeremiah's world, including our own. God shoketh, God watches over, protects and cares for God's own intentions for Jeremiah's world. God takes care to see that God's word not be obscured or crushed or buried or forgotten in all the chaos in the lives of God's people. I am watching over my word to perform it, God says. In other words, God gets what God wants. Thus saith the Lord, according to the prophet Jeremiah. Herein lies the problem. Because as God will go on to explain using Jeremiah's voice for chapters and chapters and years and years to come, God has been watching God's people and God has not been getting what God wants. Not even in Israel, not even from God's chosen people. This is where God asks Jeremiah from Anathoth, just north of Jerusalem, for the second time, what do you see? No pun this time, but an omen. A pot of boiling water tipped over, spilling out, the steaming liquid running down from the north to scald the ground it runs over on a southward path. Indeed, God says, concurring with Jeremiah's vision, it's geopolitical disaster is what it is. It's a marauding army and it's coming your way, marching from the north, headed due south. It's headed right for you. With this vision burned into his mind's eye, Jeremiah makes his way from Anathoth to Jerusalem, from the edges of political and religious life to the very center where he will spend the entirety of his prophetic, not priestly, career, 40 years worth 
spanning the reins of several kings, shouting in the courtyards of the Jerusalem temple at every passing priest and worshiper that God has been watching over this world and watching over God's word. And if God can't get what God wants one way, God will get it another, even if it means inviting foreign armies to sack this holy city and take its citizens captive, even if it means God's own prophet catches one of the last trains out of town and lives out the rest of his life in exile in Egypt. Spoiler alert. Jeremiah escapes the fall of Jerusalem, but barely, and lives out the rest of his life in exile in Egypt. See, the entirety of Jeremiah's career, as represented in the book that bears his name, will call up for us this macro question of God's involvement in geopolitics, in global economics, in war and peace and all the complexity in between. You know there are even now those among our own religious kin who claim to see God's hand at work in the Russian invasion of Ukraine, who claim to have puzzled out ancient prophecies to arrive at this exact scenario as somehow in service of God's word in the world right now. My short response to that is bullshit, or more professionally, uh-uh. We have reason to be skeptical of that kind of certainty in the moment, and I am hoping that we can let the question of God's choreography of armies and oligarchs lie, for now. Jeremiah is gonna give us plenty of chances to ponder that in weeks to come. You can hold me to that. For tonight, though, for tonight, let us attend to the micro question of Jeremiah and his self-understanding as one called to live a singular human life during the administrations of several kings and high priests while his beloved homeland endures a long downward slide from prosperity to poverty, from peace to powerlessness, Every day that man wakes up, the news is bad. Every day the threat grows. Every day the people ignore it. Every day the leaders lie. Every day his own life is endangered. And every day God's own self grows increasingly desperate unable to turn the hearts of God's beloveds, unable to persuade them to return to their first love. And Jeremiah stands just slightly apart from it all, just as far as Anathoth is from Jerusalem, watching the way God watches, not impassively, but caring deeply about the outcome, pointing diligently to what he can see that most everybody else can't or won't, pointing out where the people have lost the thread, have let go of God's words and God's ways, pointing out that actions have consequences that we were never gonna get away with this forever. 
As a result, nobody likes Jeremiah. I mean, for the next 40 years, 40 years, they're going to try to shut him up, put him down, kick him out. They will take out restraining orders to keep him out of the temple and out of Jerusalem. At one low point, one of those kings will have him pitched into a cistern, one of those rock-hewn rainwater receptacles below the ground, intending, really, to leave him there till he rots. The thing is, none of that is going to come as a surprise to our prophet. Because in their very first conversation, God was clear. God told him that he would not enjoy the fame that comes with being chosen by God. They will fight against you, God tells him. The people I'm asking you to confront will not want to hear from you, so gird up your loins. Yes, God tells God's prophet to tuck. <laughs> protect, protect your vulnerable bits, God says, and get ready to rumble. Don't break down, don't back down, because I am right here and I got you, and this is the work, this is the life you were born for. It's from the story of Jeremiah's call to be God's prophet that we get that often quoted verse about God knowing you before you were formed in the womb. Something I think most uses of that verse miss altogether is the context of God's call to Jeremiah to that specific time and that specific place. A lifetime of beating his head against a wall the helpless standing by while the potential for disaster lurks closer and closer and finally destroys his home. The unhappy ending, at least in Jeremiah's lifetime, Jerusalem in rubble, its citizens living as prisoners of war in Babylon or refugees in Egypt. Oh yes, God says, this is what I had in mind for you from your very beginning. To live this hard life in this hard place, doing this hard work, in this hard time, to remain faithful to me in the face of decades, decades of hardship and deprivation, to keep, watch, to keep your eye on my getting what I want while everything around you falls apart. Friends, there will be moments in Jeremiah's life when he will wish that he had never been born. From chapter 20, I'm quoting, Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, A child is born to you, a son, making him very glad. On his worst days, Jeremiah wished for the erasure of his own existence, he whom the Lord knew before he was formed in his mother's womb. But what he will not do, what he will not do over 40 years of bad news every damn day, is evade his calling to be God's agent in that miserable season 
He will not turn his back and pretend not to see. He will not plug his ears to keep from hearing God speak. He will not close his mouth to keep from speaking God's word. Jeremiah lives with his loins girded his whole life. It is the work, it is the life he was born for. I don't claim to know how it has been for all of you, but I mean lots of you have told me, and I have concurred, that this is a hell of a season in which to be God's agent, to watch over God's world and God's word, to speak out about all the ways that God is not getting what God wants. You have told me that this has lasted much longer than you thought you had stamina for. I, I feel that. I feel it, the deep down emotional exhaustion of every day's new bad news. I have never been so tired of bad news. <laughs> Jeremiah's story asks us to at least consider, hear me out, that our being here now is no accident that God knew us and called us into being for exactly this season in the life of the world. And that God has promised us, like God promised Jeremiah, that God has our back, that as long as we keep telling the truth about what we have seen, as long as we keep watching over God's world and God's word, God will watch with us. Gird up your loins, then, would be God's word to us. When the news is bad again, for the 40th day, or the 40th month, or the 40th year in a row, gird up your loins, protect your vulnerable parts, and press on. This is the work. This is the life you were born for. With my help, God says, you can do this. With God's help, church, we can do this. Hi, church. Hi, church. My name is Eleanor. My pronouns are she, her. But... Oh, okay. There we go. Um, so when Katie asked me to do the communion devotion, I was really honored. Um, I love communion. It's my favorite part of church. But then she told me the theme for worship was wrestling with God's call, and so now I'm like, okay, communion devotion or comedy skit, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but seriously speaking, there is nothing more religious for me than um, breaking bread in communion with God who calls us all. Um, being called by God is kind of like being bitten by a mosquito bite right in the middle of your back. By the time you finally figure it out and try to scratch it, the itch only intensifies. The only thing is that a mosquito bite will heal. Well, God's a bit more persistent. Maybe a lot more persistent. Um, I think about Jeremiah. He says, I am only a boy. But what I think he means is, are you really serious right now? I think I'd rather be a bullfrog. By chapter four, he's more like, WTF, God? But at the same time, he doesn't give up that call. 
And then I think about Mary, also just a kid, not to mention pregnant and unmarried, living under the thumb of a king who was hunting firstborn sons. Yeah. Or think of Paul. He was kind of an important guy in you know, Rome yeah. until God blinded him on the road to Damascus and redirected the dude on a path that would eventually land him in prison. Even Katie Hayes. There's a reason we've embraced the words unironic super gay at Galileo. You should ask her sometime. Um, I got the call when I was 15 years old. I've spent 25 years trying to figure out exactly what God wants for me. All I know is that teenage Eleanor woke up one day with this very clear yet un so unclear commission to quote, help young people with problems. How do I know it was God? I mean, how did Jeremiah know? The itch just intensifies. It won't go away, even as it's tried to drive me crazy. A lot of people tell me my job doesn't have to be my passion. I can have a vocation without turning it into my life. I am laughing my ass off. <laughs> tell that one to God. Like Jesus, I sometimes just want to hop in a boat and take a nap. But that damn itch never goes away. In fact, I bet Jesus felt like he had a hundred mosquito bites. He was born into poverty, a member of the minority race in a glaring system of oppression. He gets baptized and the Holy Spirit hurls him into the desert for 40 days of deprivation to consider taking up the call to be God's rebel lovemonger against the cruel Roman Empire. That is my new word for Jesus, rebel, rebel lovemonger. Jesus knew what God was asking, but he couldn't say no. Instead, even when he knew it was over, he broke bread with friends and family. He broke bread with the guy he knew would betray him. He scratched that damage until the very end because it was easier than trying to ignore God's call. Why believe me, you say? I'm a lesbian seminary dropout with mental illness. Just wait. Wait till you get the itch. Uh, will you pray with me? Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to galileochurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace. Peace.